My name is Keith Beavers, and I'm happy to report that I'm as comfortable saying Grogu now as I have been since a child saying Yoda. What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode 7 of Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast, the bonus season. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tasting teacher of Vine Pair, and how you doing? Not the state, but the country, the state of Georgia, which is the country. The wine situation there is amazing, and we need to be introduced to it. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by E&J Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine and spirits. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making everyday sparkle with La Marca Prosecco, or continuing our legacy with Louis Martini and Napa. We want to welcome new friends to wine and share in all of life's moments. Interested in trying some of the wine brands discussed on Wine 101? Follow the link in each episode description to purchase featured wines or browse our full portfolio at BarrelRoom.com. Cheers and all the best. It's amazing how some of the language in wine, is talking about wine, has changed over the years. And there's certain things we don't say anymore, the legs and all this stuff. But one thing that I have been really trying to stop saying that we said for years in the wine industry is the word obscure. And often that word is used for wines that come from places that we don't understand. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's cool that we don't understand these places. They may not have been on our radar ever, but they're not obscure. They are places in the world that make wine, and then there's a market, and they are either on the international market or they're not on the international market. It doesn't mean they're obscure, it just means they're not on the international market yet or were and are not, not now. I feel like once we say the word obscure, we're like, well, this wine region evolved out of obscurity. When in reality, a lot of the wine regions that we don't know right now have been around forever. And one of those places is the country of Georgia. We talk a lot about Greece and how important Greece was in the distribution of the vine throughout the Mediterranean then we talk about the Roman Empire and how important the Roman Empire was for wine, bringing it from just leveling it up. And then we talk about France. And as we talk more and more about wine through history, we notice how a lot of these quote unquote international varieties, which are basically French varieties that can move around the world and grow and make wine easily in most cases, then we learn about the Appalachian system. France really began it. I know this is the Appalachian episode for the history, prehistory of, of that, but places like Italy and Spain, they all kind of latch on to this Appalachian system and start to create some sort of recognition to help other places be familiar with their wines. Then the, e, then the, the EU comes around and brings it all into this one cohesive, somewhat cohesive body and that's how we experience wine through trade now. And I feel like this is all a very general statement. What I'm, but what I'm trying to get to is that there are other places in the world that make wine that we may not have heard of 
or we've heard of the place and maybe heard that wine is made there, but we don't really understand it because we don't see it around in our, on our wine shelves. Israel, Croatia, Slovenia, and Georgia. But some of these places, these countries, these cultures, these landscapes have been making wine for so long. But as history happens, the social, economic, and political environments change, and that can sometimes impede progress. And when it comes to wine, it's very tied to this thing of economics and politics. You know, wine regions are, are, are vulnerable to political lines changing. They're vulnerable to power shifts, power struggles, war. Just think, just go back to the champagne episode and think about how all those wars being fought on that land while they try to maintain their vineyards. And when power struggles lead to regime change and regimes are not as, go one way. And the, the agricultural world is often vulnerable to these things and wine is agriculture. And what I think is very exciting is when a place in the world that has wine or has had wine for a long time that has not been able to enjoy the international trade of its wine throughout the world that finally gets to a place that it can and then we get to experience it on our market and we are in turn exploring even more because that's really... I don't know about you guys, but wine for me is all about the exploration. I love trying all different wines from all different parts of the world, whether it's being introduced to the wines of Lebanon through the Bekaa Valley or finding an AVA in California like Temecula that you hadn't heard of before, but the wines are awesome. And when it comes to Georgia, the country of Georgia, the history of wine here is as intense and as intertwined into the culture as the Greek empire. Actually, almost even more so because of the religion that they adopted, which we'll get into in a second. I mentioned this in one of the first episodes in the first season, but as of now, as far as archaeology is concerned, the oldest wine-producing area that archaeological findings has unearthed is in the country of Georgia, in specifically the southeastern part of the country, in a region called Kakheti, which today is actually the most important wine region in the country, or at least the one that produces the most wine. The name of the site is Shulaveris Gora. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but here in another area called Lower Kartli, again, all these spellings are going to be on the transcript because this language is ancient influenced by other cultures and just beautiful and I will not be able to do it justice and I apologize up front about that. But in these areas, they found grape seeds, pruning knives, stone presses, all kinds of pottery, vessels that they would drink the wine from that had grape leaves and grapes sculpted into them, jewelry with grapes and grape leaves on them. And there were also what the Oxford Wine Companion says, rich ornaments of fruited vines found in the walls of ancient temples. So the vine has been in this place for a very, very 
very long time. And if you go back into the first season, we talk about the vine. We talk about where people think the vine comes from. And there's an area called the Levant. And that's where everything is believed to have been started with the vine during the Bronze and Neolithic period. Well, this site in Georgia is from the Neolithic period. And the location of this country is close to what we call the Levant, sort of. So you can kind of see how this works. But it gets even crazier than that. So let's talk about Georgia. We're not going to get into all the wine regions. There are 10 wine regions with 18 appellations, and that's a lot to get to because there's so much history and stuff you have to understand about Georgia to get into it. We're going to talk a little bit about the most popular area that I, ta- I mentioned before, because that's what you're going to see mostly on the American market. Again, like I usually say, this is only the beginning. We're going to start seeing more and more Georgian wine on our market. So we get if we get used to the region itself, then we can start celebrating everything that comes on to our shelves. The country of Georgia is really at the intersection of Eastern Europe and Western Asia. It is bordered by the West by the Black Sea. It's bordered to the north and east by Russia. It's bordered to the south by Turkey and Armenia and bordered to the southeast by Azerbaijan. It's a small country, but it's also mighty. It has survived the struggles of being an intersection country by struggling with empires coming in and out of its land, trying to take over and sometimes actually doing (laughs) successfully doing so the Assyrian empire, Roman empire, the Persians, the Byzantines, the Arabian, the Osmalis and the Russians, all these empires have come through this land and tried to take it, occupy it, integrate it into different things. And all the while these people are living their lives and they're actually drinking and making and drinking wine. And I say that because it is such an integral part of their culture. And when we talk about the Renaissance, we often talk about Florence and Italy and how we had this illuminating moment in our history. I mean, it's known for bringing the world out of the Middle Ages. But actually, in the 12th and 13th century, during the Middle Ages, Georgia had a Renaissance. That is considered the golden age of Georgian history. Two rulers, King David IV and Queen Tamar, the first woman to rule in medieval Georgia, they consolidated the feudal systems and created a united Georgia. And at this time, this is where poetry and art and music and all the things that happened in the Renaissance that we know of in, in in Italy, happened here. The the Georgian people have their own odyssey. They have their own famous tale. It's called The Knight in the Panther's Skin, and it's actually a national epic. And wine was so important, important during this era. If you look at the Georgian script, how they write in their, their national language, there's a thought that the script was designed after the vine. And if you look at it, it looks pretty amazingly vinous, <laughs> if you will. Also, I'm not really sure if it happened before or after this golden age or, or during the golden age, but there is this very, um, gosh, I don't even know, 
very, not intense, but this very involved dinner that, or, or, or feast, I should say, that the Georgians do called a supra. Supra means tablecloth. And it is this, it, it looks to us complicated, but once you get into the rhythm of it, it's pretty amazing and easy to understand. But you have a, you have a Toastmaster called a Tamada, and they stand up and they give, they give toasts. And then there's a system of responding to the toasts, and there's a system of raising a glass, but everything is tied to food and wine. It is very, very important. And the thing about wine in Georgia is it's been a place for wine for a very, 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 very long time, obviously. But it was in the fourth century that the country of Georgia pretty much nationally adopted Christianity. And there's a story that a saint, Saint Nino, I think, came into Georgia, came into the capital of Georgia with a, a, a cross made from vines. And that basically sealed the deal for a country and a people that were tied so closely to the vine. And that vine and that the idea of wine and the idea of Christianity and wine's role in Christianity actually helped unify the people of Georgia. They are a very heavily Christian culture because of this story. Okay, probably not totally of this story, but, you know, it's part of the mythos of how this happened. Also, Georgia is kind of known for the place in the world that began making quote-unquote orange wine or amber wine, skin contact wine. And the idea goes that this is this culture is so old and ancient. You know, we talked about how white wine in antiquity was probably not just white wine, but they were the they were kind of known for these things called kaveri, these big clay vessels they would bury in the ground and they would leave the all the must in there for months and months and months. There's actually somewhere I read where somebody left it there for 50 years or something like that. But this is how they made wine and they made wine in other ways as well, especially as you know, history evolved, but they're kind of known as the first orange wine culture. And get this, again, going back to antiquity, even before antiquity, Neolithic and stuff like that, we were talking back in the first season about how the vine was domesticated by humans. Georgia doesn't only have vitis vinifera, but Georgia also has an ancient form of vinifera called vitis sylvestris. This is incredible. Because of that, there is a very significant wild vine slash domesticated vine culture in Georgia. And because of that, Georgia has upwards of 20, maybe 30 or more indigenous varieties that they use to make wine. Wine varieties you've never heard of, that I've never heard of. It is absolutely amazing. And I wish I could go into depth with all of it because it's just fascinating stuff. But the thing is, we don't see a lot of Georgian wine on the American market. And there are a lot of factors to this. I mean, Georgia, because of where it is, has seen so much struggle. We talked about the golden age of Georgia 
before and after that, this country went through many struggles. I mean, a lot, but the persistence of viticulture is just an amazing thing in this country. And one of the more modern um, roadblocks was when Georgia was part of the Soviet Union. A lot of the vine varieties that are indigenous to this region thrive in smaller production. But because the Soviet Union was looking for quantity over quality, they ignored those for the more high production vines. And now we're finally at a place in Georgia's history where we're starting to celebrate those vines. Now, Georgia drinks the majority. They drink a lot of their own wine. But we're finally starting to see wines from Georgia coming on our market, and they're awesome. Okay, now bear with me because I'm kind of going all over, all over the place here, but I have two more things to say. Number one, what's cool about Georgia's geography is that it's mostly part of the Caucasus region, the mountain range. And that mountain range has is the length, the northern length of the country and the foothills of that, of that range is basically what Georgia is. But there is a mountain range that kind of goes down the middle of Georgia and separates the country in two. And throughout history, that was actually, there were actually two kinds of people living on each side of this range that defined Georgia for a long time. But as far as wine is concerned, these mountain ranges create an amazing watershed and these mountain ranges also create really poor soil. It's almost like a Goldilocks region for vines. They have thrived here for so long because the natural position of this country is like a vine's best friend. And besides orange wine, what we're seeing on our market from Georgia are wines from specifically one region, the southeastern region of Kakheti. This is the region that produces 70% of all wine from Georgia. And there are a few varieties that are being used here. But the two varieties that you will see more often than anywhere else is a white wine grape called Arcatzatelli and a red wine grape called Saparavi. And to some extent, a white wine grape called Mitzvani. There are also other white wine grape varieties, one called Kakuri, Kikvi and Kisi, but they're, you know, we, we're not going to see those right now. I mean, they're blended in, but. And it's here in this region that we see a lot of the Kaveri, um, you know, uh, clay vessel wine being made. But because we're in modern Georgia now, that's not always the way it's being made. Saparavi is an awesome red wine. It's tannic. It can last a long time. It has this deep, deep kind of fruit core to it. It's very earthy, sometimes a little bit of iron, but they're beautiful wines. They're great with all kinds of meats. I mean, bringing that to a Supra, for good about it. And then Arcazzatelli is this sort of high acid, floral, easy drinking. It's kind of the, it's one of the most widely planted white wine grapes in the country for its versatility, easy drinking. They're beautiful wines. They can be made in the orange style, or they can be made in sparkling, or they can be made in still white. But we're mostly going to see them still white. And I'm going to kind of stop here, just because that's where we're at right now with the American market in Georgia. I want you to understand, I guess why I wanted to do this episode to give you a sense of what this place is, how important wine is in this place, the struggles that it went through, and how we're, it's very exciting that now we can see a future of Georgian wine on our tables, on our wine shelves. 
there is one place, and I know this is gonna, and it's, it's tough because I know you guys are listening from all over the place. But if you're ever in New York City, there is a wine bar called Ruffian on East 7th Street in the East Village of Manhattan. It is one of the only places I've been to that has a good selection of Georgian wine. They have wines from the Kakheti region and other regions. They're like the Indiana Jones of wine. They find wines from places that you may not have heard of, and they expose them to you in such a nice, friendly, comforting way. So if you're in New York City, check out Ruffian. They got the Georgian wine. But until then, oh, there's also a place in D.C. It's actually called Supra. And that is a Georgian restaurant, and they have awesome Georgian wine there as well. So those are two places in major cities, if you're there, to check out. But just so you know, get ready. Georgian wine will be more prominent on our market. They are blending in with some international varieties, but they're very proud of their indigenous varieties, and hopefully we see more and more of them. Find Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. Day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Ian J. Gallo Winery. At Gallo, we exist to serve enjoyment in moments that matter. The hallmark of our company has always been an unwavering commitment to making quality wine experience. Whether it's getting barefoot and having a great time, making everyday sparkle with La Marca Prosecco, or continuing our legacy with Louis Martini and Napa, we want to welcome new friends to wine and share in all of life's moments. Interested in trying some of the wine brands discussed on Wine 101? Follow the link in each episode description to purchase featured wines or browse our full portfolio at barrelroom.com. Cheers and all the best.